Well, it's good to be back from God's country. That's the great Northwest. We just spent um, six weeks. We have a place. We've just had it forever. It's been in our family forever up near the Oregon coast. And so um, we came back with about 40 gallon bags of blueberries and blackberries, 27 jars of homemade wild blackberry jam. We picked them all ourselves. We ate all the crab we could possibly pull out of the water while we were there, and we had kids and grandkids coming. And we brought back some halibut and some albacore tuna. How many have had just fresh out-of-the-water albacore tuna? This is heaven, you know. Speaking of heaven, that's what I'd like to speak on today. But uh, let me preface it for just a moment. By the way, it is good to be back. It's good to see you again. And um, be back in the great southwest from the great northwest. When I was a kid in school, one of the most memorable memorable books I ever read was The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. How many of you read Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn? And I don't know why it is, and and this has been a long time ago, and I've long since given away my copy of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. But I remember that somehow, seems like it was the funeral of Tom Sawyer or something that was happening. And Tom, uh, Huck Finn was always the renegade and the wild one. And they were moaning the fact this was a trumped up death of Tom Sawyer. That poor Tom may not have made it into heaven. And I remember Huck Finn saying, Well, I never really wanted to go to heaven anyway, and I know now if Tom isn't there, I sure don't want to be there. I have a friend in Las Vegas that used to say, and he's a very devout Christian, that one of the things he can't quite understand about Christians is everybody talks about how uh, wonderful heaven is, But nobody seems to be in a hurry to get there. And I've kind of felt that way about heaven. By the way, I need to interrupt myself here. I'll come right back to that. We have our niece here visiting with us today. She's from Sacramento. And uh, it's good to have Heather here. She's here for the weekend and she asked if she could ride out with us. And she's staying with us tonight. So welcome, Heather. But I always was kind of ambivalent about heaven and felt a little guilty about it because I wasn't quite so sure what was so great about it. Um, We hear about or see pictures of people sitting on clouds and playing harps or petting sheep or on it goes. And you know, that might be fun for a while, but for all eternity, and people talk about just worshiping God forever. I get bored if a church service goes too long. What am I going to do if this is an endless church service in heaven? But today, I mean, how many of you would say that there's, there's plenty of bad news in our world today? How many of you, like me, 
have quit watching as much news as you used to because you're just tired of being depressed by it. Is anybody else? You know, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, I just heard something yesterday, and I'm not preaching on the bad news. I'm preaching on good news today. But sis sent me into another tithy. There's a Christian college in Missouri, College of the Ozarks. And it has now been decreed by the uh, woke administration that we have now that this Christian college cannot refuse admittance or dormitory space to a biological man who identifies as a woman. And the Christian college has no right to change that. Well, if that stands and passes the courts, that means that would apply to every Christian college and Bible school. But I think there's something better for us to focus our thoughts on. Now, I'm going to come back a minute because I think what we say about heaven is something that needs to work into the agenda of our life for today. But what I'd like to do today is I'd like for us to take a tour there we go, of heaven. And I'm pulling out different passages of Scripture, and there's going to be uh, some speculation involved in what I'm saying. But when we talk about heaven, well, let me give you the first verse I'm using as a text today. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Now understand this about heaven. We think, and the only thing we can picture and imagine, are things that come to us in a time-space continuum. Okay? Now that said, heaven is eternal. I had, I had a conversation, it'll take me a while to get going, but when I get rolling here, my goal is one, to inspire you, two, to inform you, and three, to make you homesick for heaven today. Okay? But um, I had a conversation with my oldest son. He is a deep thinker. And so we hadn't talked in about six weeks. And when we get together at Starbucks, it's three hours later before we said goodbye. And we, were t we always end up talking about deep spiritual or philosophical things. And one of the things that he was saying, and I don't know how this came up, and there's a point to this, so bear with me, is he's, he's a physicist. He, he graduated as a physicist, the top of his class at the United States Military Academy. So I'm just telling you, this guy knows how to think and scientifically and all of that. And I have an interest in Einstein and Einstein's view of God. And he's been reading Spinoza. And so we were talking about this. This means nothing at all to you yet. But I had heard this before. And Rob confirmed it. If we were able to somehow attain the speed of light, time would stand still. Did you know that? At the other end of the spectrum, if we were able to somehow 
get sucked into a black hole, which is gravity that is so intense that even light can't escape it. In that black hole, time would stand still. And I had a eureka moment. I said, Rob, the first verses of Genesis are in the beginning. The beginning of what? Time. God created. Created what? Space. Time and space are themselves creations of God. God transcends time and space. And that means that for God, the past is not something that is no longer, nor is the future something that is not yet. There is only the present, but as soon as I have said the word present, it is already in my past. So, here's the point. When we start looking at deep and ultimate spiritual truths, we can only express it in time-space concepts. But we are expressing an ultimate reality that is not bound by time and space as we know it. And so when Paul says, I have not seen and ear hath not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him, we are not amped to be able to accurately picture or capture the full reality of heaven. And so, in what I'm going to share with you today, you might say, does not compute. How does that reconcile with this? These are the best the Holy Spirit could reveal to us to try to give us a conception of the un- inconceivable world that we know and as we experience it now. Hang on to these verses. Here's another one that is coming. In my Father's house are many mansions. This is out of the King James Version. That actual word mansions really translates dwellings. But I'm still going with the King James because even the worst cabin in heaven is more spectacular than the most imaginable mansion we have here on earth. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there ye may be also. So, you know, kids grow up believing in Santa Claus. Whoops, oh, I hit the wrong one. Can you turn it back on? While she's getting it back up, I've got to be careful. This is a wonderful clicker, but if I hit something besides that arrow, okay, and tooth fairies, but we know they don't really exist. And we piously talk and hopefully and whimsically talk about heaven, but is it really a reality? Why believe? The first thing is because the Bible tells me so. Now, you might think, well, that doesn't sound so impressive. Well, I've learned in my life to take with more seriousness and authority 
the things that the Bible declares to be true than the things that my own emotions might compel me to believe or the things that science, and I'm very pro-science, that the things that science, those conclusions they draw, how many different scientific facts did we hear dealing with the COVID epidemic? They changed weekly, didn't they? And yet those things that the Bible declares, they have a timeless quality to them. Some time ago, I read about what they think might be the, old, the ruins of the oldest city in existence. The place is called Obletepe. It is in the region, or it's in Turkey, in the region of where Mount Ararat is, and there are some that speculate, could this possibly be the beginnings of civilization restarting after the flood? But you know, no, no matter where or how old the civilization is, the human race is hardwired to have an instinct a longing for, and a belief in something more than this life. Am I the only one here that enjoys, uh, I've seen them over and over again, but every time one comes on, I'm a sucker for it, these uh, History Channel programs on ancient Egypt. And you talk about a culture that was uh, obsessed with the afterlife, the Egyptians were. We're all that way. The Bible, Old Testament and New, points to heaven. If the Bible tells me there's something to it, I'm going to believe it. A second thing. Well, I, I got ahead of myself here. A universal longing. Okay, and so I've just spoke to that one. The third one, it's a logical necessity. So what do I mean by this? If there is any ultimate justice in this world, and we all instinctively think there must be, there must be some kind of reward or accountability after this life. Otherwise, you might as well be one of the bad guys of history. Genghis Khan, Adolf Hitler, Nero. Maybe if there is no accountability and nothing that comes next, and what would be the point of trying to be good after all? Or trying to be honest? Or willing to sacrifice? Or lay down your life as a sacrifice or a martyr? If it makes any sense at all that there is some point to this life, there has to be something more, does there not? That's a reason to believe in heaven. The next one is... And this, is, this I realize, because our experiences can be kind of unreliable, near-death experiences. There's a book I'm going to recommend to you right now. I looked it up to make sure it's available and what the price range is on it. The Latin title for the book in which it was originally published is Intramuros. That literally translates within the gates. And... Another translation of it is my dream of heaven. 
It was originally published in 1898 by a woman named Rebecca Springer. Has anybody here ever heard of this book? Okay. It's the first book I ever read that made me really homesick for heaven. She's telling the story of what happened when she was in a coma for several days. And it's her tour of heaven. And if you want to be inspired about heaven, now this is not scripture. But as a woman, she makes no claims of absolute truth about it. But she said, this is honestly what I thought. And you might find it worthwhile. Now, you're saying, well, Pastor Stan, lots of people claim they have experiences. I came across a new one a couple weeks ago that I'd never heard of before. Frog licking. Has anybody here heard of toad or frog licking? There is a certain species of toad that some people that are always looking for a new high, there is some, something on the back of those frogs' necks that if you lick it, you're going to have an hallucinogenic spiritual experience. And there's a very famous person, I could mention him right now, but I won't because I haven't double-checked to make sure this is factually correct. He's a proponent of frog licking now. But let me tell you the story. This goes back to, it must have been the year 1975. I was in a theological seminary back on the East Coast. And after church on a Sunday, um, we went over to this home and there was, uh, it was, there was a young man that was in the church and his elderly aunt that attended the church too. At that time, she was in her 80s. And I don't remember how the conversation came about. But I'm telling you as accurately as I can, verbatim, of how she responded. When I asked her the question, do you have any fear of death? And her eyes lit up and a smile came on her face. And she said, no, no. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was 18 years old. She was suddenly taken ill rushed to the hospital and family gathered around her and she said as I lay there I realized that I was dying and I wanted to tell the people around me and the doctor had the stethoscope still on her chest it's okay it's okay but no one could respond to me now I'm telling you This is what she told me. She said, I felt my soul slip out of my body and slide down through the uh, iron bars that are on the side of the hospital bed that hold you in, slide down under those bars and start to rise to the ceiling. I came to the ceiling of the hospital room and I was wanting to tell my family, it's okay, it's okay. But I kept rising and rising and then I was in the sky and looking down on the hospital. And suddenly my attention shifted from the hospital to this great light that was drawing me towards itself. And she said, I was just filled with joy and wonder and I knew it was Jesus I was going to meet. But then I started to slow down and stop. And somehow I knew it was not my time yet. I saw the hospital come back into focus. 
I came back into the hospital room through the ceiling, slid back up through the side of those bars on the side of my bed, came back into my body, and I was revived. She said, I have always looked forward to completing that journey I began that day when I was 18 years old. Now this was long before books were written about or people were talking about this. But there it is. The Bible tells me so. It's a universal longing. It's a logical necessity. There are near-death experiences. For this simple-minded preacher standing here, that's enough for me to take seriously the hope and the possibility and the reality of heaven. So, who gets to go? This is a picture that I first saw this painting and it was in brighter color. I sort of watermarked some of these pictures so you could see the words more clearly. This picture, the original, hangs in um, Forest Lawn Cemetery in Los Angeles. And I've, just, I've got a picture of this in my office at my home. And I just always like this picture. Well, the good news is that potentially heaven is for everyone. God is not willing that any should perish. The bad news, not everybody is going to enter into heaven. And Daniel puts it this way. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Survey after survey tells us that the vast majority of Americans, 75 to 80%, believe in some sort of heaven beyond. Only about 30% believe in hell. Because that is an inconvenient truth, isn't it? But Jesus spends about as much time talking about hell as heaven. I'm not here to talk about hell today. But I want you to know that a perfect God, creating a perfect heaven, cannot allow unredeemed creatures into that heavenly realm or it won't be perfect anymore. Now that's another whole story. This takes us to the story of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. This is the answer of why the God-man came. But heaven is not for everyone because the perfect nature of God cannot allow corruption in if there has not been satisfaction paid and forgiveness granted. So, there's another truth before we start unpacking heaven. This term is not found in Scripture itself, but it has to be the case. There is an intermediate state between the fullness of our being in heaven and what we experience as the waiting room of heaven when we die in Christ. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, I don't know if this is, well, so the first stop, well, let me first of all frame this. In 1 Thess Thessalonians 4, and you're familiar with the passage, many of you, when the trumpet of the Lord will sound, the dead in Christ will rise first. 
And then those of us who remain will be caught up to be with the Lord. This is the first stage of the second coming of Christ or the return. This is the rapture of the church. But until that happens, until the resurrection happens, those who are dead in Christ now, they're perfectly, let's go to the next scripture here, they are perfectly conscious in the Lord's presence. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But there, so there's nothing to regret or hold you back in this. We call this place paradise. And that's where we go to this first scripture I have up here. Remember Christ when he's hanging on the cross turned to the penitent thief. And he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. This is a wonderful, conscious place of living and existing in the full presence of God. But one thing is missing. You are not yet reunited as body and soul. The reuniting of body and soul occurs at the time of the resurrection. So, you say you die and you go to heaven, and yes we do. But we're awaiting in a conscious state, in the presence of God, the fullness of that resurrection when body and soul are reunited. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. He's in the bosom of Abraham. He's perfectly conscious. The resurrection has not yet occurred. This is where Jesus was when he descended into the heavenly and the underworld realms in the three days between his crucifixion and his resurrection. There he was in the glorified state of what is all awaiting us. Now, I haven't spoken here for six weeks, so I just got a lot of stuff. So hang with me, okay? There is also an intermediate state for those who do not make the heavenly cut. They are not yet resurrected either. They're in a conscious state. Let's call this place Hades. This is where the disembodied spirits of those who have rebelled against Christ will be. And at the time of the second resurrection, which we read about after the millennium, in Revelation 19, there is the great white throne judgment. And this is the resurrection and the judgment of those who have rebelled against God. Now I realize with everything I'm saying, there are a thousand questions that rise up, but you don't want to stay here. Our lunch will get cold. So I'm just trying to give you a sketch of things to come as far as this is concerned. So this intermediate state. Okay, let's move on. There is a rich culture of heaven. Now we're going to get to the good stuff. Think Rebecca Springer. Think Intramuros within the gates. Think of these glimpses of people who have had a taste of heaven. Heaven is 
a created place. The first scripture we, uh, or the second scripture I read, where I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is not just some kind of nirvanic state of mind or being. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a created place. If you read chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, it's, a, it's just a stunning description of what the new Jerusalem and heaven is going to be like. It is a created place. It is the empire of heaven. What I mean by this, this is a great civilization of heaven. God himself is the, is the king of heaven. We don't have to worry about political parties or taxes. We don't have to worry about those kinds of things. But it is a great civilization. It is a culture of heaven, a rich culture. There are buildings. There's music. There are talents and gifts that people have. Heaven is a, a rich culture of heaven. It is a theocracy. There, this, this is true. There is no temple in heaven. We read of this in Revelation. Why? Because God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit, their living presence are with us in heaven. It is the word of God in person, in fullness of spirit that is there. There's one thing that's interesting about heaven. When you come to the end of the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22, it is like the bookend of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 starts out with the creation of paradise. And then it is paradise lost in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, the eating of the apple. Revelation 21 and 22 is paradise regained. Remember in the first paradise, before the fall, how did Adam and Eve commune with God? It tells us. In the cool of the day, God came and walked with Adam and Eve. They did not know the difference between good and evil themselves. They didn't need to. Because long as they lived by the word of God as it fed their lives, they were living in paradise. And that's similar to the way it's going to be in Revelation. There's no temple there. There are no Bibles there. Except there must be a museum in heaven somewhere where there's a, a Bible there to remind us of what we saw through a glass darkly when we read the Bible. We don't need those things because we are in eternally walking in the light and in the presence of God. There is diversity of heavenly beings in heaven. I'm going to take you to a couple passages here. 
When I talked about this intermediate state, and I, I don't want to get lost in a lot of eschatology in that here, but there is a judgment of Christians. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul, writing to the Christians, says, For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse... I should have brought my reading glasses. I can't read the verse. Okay. Um, I think it's verse... It's 10. For the grace of God, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be carefully how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is from Christ. If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If, if it is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Okay. Now here's the one heavy note in this about heaven. Understand this. Now remember, we're trying to describe a spiritual reality and state of being that we are not amped to fully understand. It's pointing towards it. We are all saved, heaven bound, by the free grace of God through what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. All that remains for us, and it's the spirit that enables this, is for us to exercise faith. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Nobody who gets to heaven lives with eternal regrets. We're all glad to be there. Okay. Understood? However, in this life, how we build upon the grace of God in our lives, and how well we follow the plan and the design that God has for us, will determine our rank in heaven. Now, you're never going to live with sorrow and ultimate regrets. But there is going to be a moment of saying, Oh, if only. You see? So, what we do in this life, and it has nothing to do with how talented you are, with how smart you are, with how long you have lived. It only depends upon what you have done with who God called you to be. I brought this message one time not too long ago. 
And after the service, someone came up and said, what about all of the aborted babies? Are they in heaven? I would say yes. Again, I'm talking about something I don't fully understand. Are they going to be diminished in terms of their heavenly reward? No. Because they were who God created them to be, and they responded as they could. Let me tell you, I've had five children. Now, we also had five miscarriages. And we weren't Catholic or Mormon. We just had potentially a lot of babies. And I've often wondered, who are those five children that never saw the light of day? Are you bored yet? Can I tell you one other little story I'm slipping in here? Not long after my dad died, I had a dream. And in this dream, um, how, many, how many saw the Russell Crowe movie? Was it Gladiator? And his wife had been killed and his children. And he saw them as he was dying, walking towards him through what looked like a wheat field. In this dream I had, I saw my father a far distance. And I could tell him by his walk. A walk I hadn't seen for 40 years. And he started, and there were five little people with him. I can get choked up when I start talking about this. And he started walking towards me. Long story short, in this wheat field where they're walking down the hillside, there was a tree. As I try to interpret my dream, I think that was the tree of life. And it was my father when he came face to face when he was 30 years old. It was the pictures of how I remembered him. But I've also often wondered, who were those five other little people up there? Could they have been the lost babies? I don't know. You see? So, back to the point. There are ranks of angels in heaven. There are archangels. There's seraphim. There's cherubim. There's soldier angels. There's guardian angels. Heaven is amazing in its population. And this is a civilization, a magnificent culture that we are destined to be part of. Heaven is a place of incomparable beauty and joy. I want to read another passage out. I don't think I have it here. Too wonderful for words in 1 Corinthians 12. Let me find it here. This is Paul. Um, let, me just, let me just describe it. Paul talks about an experience he had. Whether in this body or out of this body, I cannot tell, he says. 
But I was caught up into the third heaven. And I saw things that were too inexpressibly wonderful to ever be spoken in words. It's incomparable beauty that is ours. And there is also no more sorrow there. Revelation 21 and 4. Every tear is wiped away. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. This just sounds like sheer fantasy and make-believe to us, doesn't it? But this is where we are headed and this is what God has destined us for. There's perfect harmony with all creation. There is a passage here in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. I'll read just three verses here. So, the question is this. Do you believe in dog heaven? One of the smartest men I've ever read about was C.S. Lewis, and he said yes. Heaven has animals and trees and rivers and fish. All sorts of wonderful things in heaven. Here is how it's described in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. The leopard will be driven with the uh, will be down lay down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together a little child will leave them lead them a cow will feed with the bear and the yearling will lay down with them and the lion will eat straw like ox the infant will play near the hole of the cobra And the young child will put his hand over the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all they they will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be the uh, full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. So there's perfect. It's a it's a full creation. Wouldn't heaven be boring if it was just? Streets of gold and walled cities and just people. It's a rich harmony of nature that is there. Now, we had one scary moment on our drive to Oregon. About 60 miles uh, northeast of Susanville, where we had spent the night. It's Highway 44 that runs uh, from Highway 36 up to Mount Shasta. A bear run out in front of me, and I hit a bear. Not head on, but it glanced off the front fender. Now, in this life, I was not even tempted to stop and check the condition of the bear. Now that kind of conflict won't happen in heaven. It's perfect harmony. Not too much damage was done to the truck. We got it fixed before we came back. It is my only bear story I've ever had. But anyway, it happened. It really did. What is there to do in heaven? Let's keep moving along here now. First of all, there is reunion with those who have gone on ahead. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore... 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? They are the ones who have gone on to heaven before us. Isn't that going to be wonderful? My mom's been gone for, it'll be ten years in November. Nine years in November. My dad has been gone 20 years on Easter of 2022. There is not a day goes by that I don't think of them and miss them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We're going to see them again. Reunion with those that have gone on before us. If that, that, that's enough to start making you homesick for heaven. It is me. There is praise and worship in heaven. It's not going to be overextended church services listening to a boring preacher drone on like me. Okay? But it's going to be a lot. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Celebrations. Festivities. You can read about some of this in Revelation 19, 1 through 5. Just think how wonderful it will be to attend a heavenly banquet with the Lord. We're going to attend one, you know that? I had a taste of this when my oldest son graduated from the military academy. And his mom and I, uh, we were invited back as guests. And I remember when we walked, when we drove up, Rob Stewart was standing there in his dress whites with his sword along the side of him. He gave me that sword, by the way, that's hanging up in the, off- in the wall of my office. And we went into this magnificent banquet hall. 4,000 people at the graduation banquet. The big who's who of Washington, D.C. that were there. It was the most sensational banquet I've ever attended. This would be like going to Burger King compared to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Just imagine this, and this is spiritual speak, because this doesn't compute to the way we can figure things. There will be millions upon millions upon millions of people at that marriage supper of the Lamb. Every race, every era of time, from every station of life. And there is not a bad seat in the house. And can you imagine, can you imagine what it will be like when King Jesus walks in? You talk about an ovation. You talk about something that is wonderful. And this is just our entry point into heaven. Praise and worship. The next thing. Intercession, and I put a question mark behind this one. In Revelation 5, 8, and they, they are the 24 elders. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I put the question mark there because one time when I brought this message, a bitter Catholic woman came up. And she thought I was talking about prayers to the saints. No, I'm not praying to the saints. 
But I wonder if the saints in heaven, after they're done petting sheep and playing harps, because there is vocation in heaven, if you are addicted to eternal retirement, you with Huck Finn may not want to make it into heaven. Because there's plenty to do there. But I find some comfort in the thought of those that have gone on before that are interceding on our behalf. It's a question mark. But look at this verse. Think about it. Could it be that there is intercession in our behalf? We're not done yet. There's more to do in heaven. We are divinely commissioned. Now, no matter how much fun heaven is, at some point, there is purpose and vocation for us in heaven. They will be priests of God and of Christ. Revelations 26a. Who are we priests for? We're in the presence of God. But we're divinely commissioned and anointed and ordained as priests of God. Ministering spirits in behalf of God. And we will rule and reign with him. Have you ever wondered why Satan hates us so much? The early church fathers believed that the reason why Satan is so literally hell-bent on destroying the church of Jesus Christ is because Satan and the imps of hell know that we are the replacement angels for the third of heaven that fell from heaven when Lucifer fell. Maybe. This universe is a huge place. What if there... This is just pure speculation. This comes out of First Stand Steward 3-4. So you take it for what it's worth. Could it be that ruling and reigning with Christ speaks of worlds still to come in which we may be ambassadors of heaven? And that plays into the final point today. Becoming heavenly minded. First thing. You can dare to really live. If we've got heaven to gain. What have we to fear in this world and this life? You know for early Christians. One of the things they looked forward to. Was martyrdom. Did they have some kind of death wish of some sort? No. They believed in what comes next. One of my favorite stories is the story of a young mother. Her name was Perpetua. She was 21 years old. This was in the city of Carthage. During one of the times of persecution that broke out against the church. She had a young infant that she was still nursing. Nothing is said about the father or her perpetuous husband in this story, so we don't know where he was or what, how he played into it. 
But her father came and pled with her because she was going to be sentenced to death for her faith. And she said, I love my baby. I love this life. But I love the Lord. And whatever he calls on me to do is fine. She was led out into the arena. And first of all, they, lo- they um, released wild animal against her and knocked her over and disheveled her hair. And she quickly grabbed her hair and was, was trying to make it tidy because she says, I want to be fit for the, when I meet my king. And then one of the soldiers came over with a sword to finish her off. And Perpetua took her hand and guided the sword across her neck. She could dare to really live. Because this life was not all there was. We can dare to really live. We live in a time where as Christians in America, we need to take a stand for what is true and right. What do we have to lose? But what do we have to gain if we believe and we commit our lives to the reality of heaven? A second thing. This puts hardship and injustice and suffering into perspective. There is a relative by marriage that as I speak right now is dying in hospice care. His name is Jeffrey. Did I have his name right? Yeah, well, anyway. You don't know the difference. I think it's Jeffrey. And um, he's 39 years old. And he's been battling cancer for two years now. And I met his son, Jedediah, earlier this summer. They've been busy making memories praying for God to heal him. It doesn't look like that's what's going to happen, but we're still praying for that. They've been making the most of the time they have. If there is no heaven, how can you make sense out of what is happening to this young father? But if there is a heaven, the suffering, the sacrifice, the things that are being instilled through in that family and these children, the death of their father, all of this is part of the soul-making process that is shaping them in to the eternal citizens of heaven that God has in mind. This life is not all there is. This is our preparatory school. And so it puts the justice, the hardship, it puts why bad things happen to good people into perspective. God is still in control of it all. And the things we experience in this life are preparing us for what really counts in the life to come. And so it puts it into perspective. This is why the disciples in the Old Testament celebrated that they are counted worthy to be persecuted and imprisoned for the sake of Christ. They participated in the fellowship of his sufferings. Take Christ, for example. 
It was through His suffering and His death. The injustice that came to Him. Out of that was the salvation of the world born. And if there is a heaven to gain, and there is, and the hardest things we pass through. If your life is too easy, that's when you better worry. Because God is not preparing you for something greater later on. The things we pass through and experience in faith are the things that shape us for life eternal. And the last thing, and I'm going back to the second verse I read. Or, no, this isn't. This is actually the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever wondered about that? What is Jesus talking about? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That taste of heaven. And those of us who know the Lord, you have these moments of ecstasy. You have these moments where there is a surge of faith. When you experience the peace of God, the intervention of God, the presence of God. And it really is a taste of heaven on earth, isn't it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Where you just experience a little bit of that here and now. Well, that is intended to give us the agenda for what we need to be doing on this earth to make it look more like heaven on earth. Of course, that's not going to happen until the second coming of Christ. You know, there is one part of me that has a little bit of sympathy for the woke folk all around us today. I, too, believe in racial justice. I, too, believe in environmental... I want clear skies and clean water. I want all of these things. I want people to be fed and, and have opportunities. But there is a difference in how we attain those ideals. Whether you try to attain them through your own sheer will, and the reason that will never work, as the people that are pushing the hardest of this, they are affected by the sin nature, and it leaks out all the time. But if it's heaven in our heart and soul and out of the love of God and love of creation and a fellow man we're working to see that happen, good things will happen. So, here's the question. And then we're going to listen to a song and then I guess we're going to go eat. How many of you are a little more homesick for heaven now than you were an hour ago? Four of you. Well, that's better than nothing. There's a song, and if you, I'm just going to ask you to stand. And if you'd like to sing along with it, fine. As I was preparing this message, um, I heard this come on one of the stations I was listening to. And it's how beautiful heaven must be. And so, if we can, I think the words are going to be up there, but I just want you to spend a moment just thinking about heaven. And if that is a dead category in your life, I pray that it will come to life.
close our eyes and wait in the presence of the Lord for a moment. Is there anybody here that the Lord has spoken to today to just bring focus, heaven back into focus in your life? You've been drifting in your minds and your fears and your doubts. And you just want to renew your commitment and fixation on the promise of heaven that's before us. Could I see your hand if you're here? Yes, I see. Yes, I see him. I do. Yes. Father, we come before you today. And I pray that we would never lose sight of the hope and the beauty of heaven to come. And may that hope of heaven and that promise of heaven be something that keeps us on track as we persevere through the things that come against us in this life. We pray for your blessing upon us. Thank you for this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.